you really have nothing better to do with your life than listen to me talk to behaviour experts about dogs, then this is your kind of show. Sit yourself down, eardrums at the ready, we're going in. Hello, welcome to this brand new podcast, Just Shaying. And I'm going to be bringing this podcast to you all about dogs. And this week, just to test out the equipment, test how it's going to work, test how I'm going to record it, test how I'm going to upload it, test everything, test how I'm going to get it out there, test if anyone's actually going to listen. Uh, we're doing a podcast all about enrichment, and this is me answering your questions on enrichment. In future weeks, I'm hoping to bring you many um, experts from the industry and extract a bit of knowledge uh, from them and give it to you. So let's get started. So I have an enrichment group called Canine Enrichment, the first ever enrichment group um, specifically for dogs. And on that group, I, I asked members to come up with questions for this first podcast. And the whole idea is that I'm now going to answer those questions. So let's get going. The first questions from Lisa Calvert. I'm not a podfast. A podfast? What's a podfast? I'm not a podcast fan generally. Well, that's a good start. But I'm definitely keen for this one. Oh, it's getting better. It's getting better. Best of luck. My question is how best to make sure your dog is eating the correct amount of calories when you swap out their recommended kibble intake with different foods, e.g. meat and veg on a licking mat. Well, great question, Lisa. Thanks for that. Well, first of all, I'm not a massive fan of giving too many other types of food. Um, but if we are going to give uh, and, and this is because many of the complete diets that people are feeding today are, as they are called, they are complete diets. And so they have the right balance of, of nutrients and calories and, and all the rest of it. And so if, we, if we're adding to that, then we're putting this slightly out of balance. And I don't think there's any arm with a few um, scrap bits, a few treats, a few training treats, maybe. Um, but it is a, if we're going to do it, it is a good idea to think about um, not overfeeding because if you're if you're adding extra over a long period of time then we're going to be putting calories on the dog we're going to be putting weight on the dog um it is a difficult thing to get right and I, I often wonder how people are managing who are feeding lots of extra foods you know for me enrichment is about well food enrichment when we're using the food as enrichment it's about using their daily diet in more interesting um ways getting their brain engaged in accessing that food and getting them interested and and it's not really for me it's not about all, all these different um flavors and peanut butter and and so there are some in-depth recipes with so many different things in it and it's just not it's it's not my cup of tea to be honest i i just want to feed in interesting ways i don't really think dogs have the um I've developed taste buds in in the way that humans do. I don't think they're that bothered about taste. Obviously, it's got to be uh, palatable, but I don't think they're they're giving little tastes of foods and going, oh yes, I like that. Uh, like in the same in the same way that we would. Um, I just don't think they're food connoisseurs. And so for me, I think the easiest way is is to actually use. The dog's main food and so if it's going on a on a licking mat we're, we're and, and if it's kibble we're soaking that kibble down if it's not kibble maybe you're putting it in a blender um but we're, we're getting that 
food wet and soft so we can spread it on the licking mat and then some people put it in the freezer some people just give it um, just as it is and then maybe you can just um, put little add little if you're going to add things to it maybe just add um, little tiny bits so it doesn't really make much difference to the overall calorie intake and of course you could take half a handful of the, of the food away if you are adding bits like that but I think it is difficult to know exactly and I don't know about in every country, but certainly in this country, most of the foods I've ever used don't actually have the calorie count on the bag. So it's a very difficult um, process anyway to know how many calories are in the dog's food. And then you'd also have to be working out how much is in the in the food that you're adding as well in the, in the little portions of that. So I think overall, you're best to keep it very limited in, in, in what you're adding to the dog's food. I certainly don't um, support the adding of lots and lots of peanut butter. If I was to add peanut butter, um, and obviously this is the one without xylitol um, because it's poisonous, but if if we're adding peanut butter, then, you know, I, I, I'd i be adding the amount I can fit on the end of my little finger, not not um, spreading not spreading loads over a, over a licky mat like I have seen some people doing. And the calories in that must must be probably three times what the dog should be eating in a day. And so we have got to be really careful with that. And if we're feeding things like um, um, vegetables, like a carrot, I don't think there's enough calories in there to make much of a difference. So you can give the dog a carrot now and again, and I don't think it's going to have any impact on, on their overall weight gain. But one thing we can do is, is to know what the dog's weight is, um, we obviously know the, the body shape, but if it's if this body shape is changing very slowly over time, then we might not notice it. So it's a, just like just like what happens with us. It, we put on weight so slowly as we age that, you know, it's all of a sudden we think, oh, I've put on two stone. But we don't notice, you know, 100 grams here and there. And so it's a good it's a good idea to know what the dog's weight is. Maybe check that once a month or every two months uh, and keep it in check that way and keep an eye on a dog's overall body condition. And the next question is from Lisa Dallin. If I give my dog the same enrichment every day, does it stop being enrichment? Well, the short answer is no. And maybe the slightly longer answer is that it is, it is good to mix up enrichment and give different types of enrichment and give different things. But an enrichment activity on its own doesn't stop being enriching just because the dog can do it and this is something or the dog does it a lot this is something that um, people ask about quite a lot or, or they post that they've bought an enrichment activity maybe a, a some kind of puzzle and the dog did it in two minutes and so they feel like they've wasted their money um, because the dog's completed it well enrichment isn't about consist uh, continuously making the enrichment activity more and more difficult we're not trying to outsmart the dog it's fantastic that they completed it that's that's exactly what they should be doing completing it because if they're not then i would suspect there's some degree of frustration um coming in there because they're not actually doing the enrichment that they're supposed to be doing and so we've got to be really careful there and so quite often with these enrichment activities i mean it's enriching because the dog's enjoying it and it's getting something out of it. So what would be the problem with um, doing that again? Uh, maybe, you know, these enrichment activities only take two minutes, maybe maybe do it two or three times with the dog, but see any problems at all there. I only see a problem in that if we're limiting, um, if we're limiting to just one activity and that's the same activity, that there's not enough variance there 
there's there's not enough outlets for different types of behavior georgia scrivens has said i love a good podcast well we'll reserve judgment there i never i never promised it would be good so we'll definitely be listening thanks georgia um Deanie hill how to judge enrichment e.g is it fun is it too difficult stroke frustrating I'll be looking out for the podcasts. Also, how did you become interested in canine enrichment? Thanks, uh, Deanie. Um, so the first part of the question, how to judge enrichment? Is it too difficult? Is it frustrating? So the first thing we want to know is, is the dog being successful? Because as, as we've discussed, if it's, if, if it's not being, if the dog's not being successful, then I would, I would um, start to suspect that the activity is becoming um, frustrating but much of it is about knowing your own dog and and you don't have to be a, an expert in dog body language to, to know your own dog you you've seen them frustrated you've seen them frustrated when you're maybe preparing their dinner and they're whining or scraping the floor or or they want to get through a door and you can see that these these situations aren't necessarily happy situations they're not excited and and happy to be you know they're they're frustrated they're in a frustrated state they might have their ears down or or head holding their body tight or tail down or and then and then we have lots of experiences with our dogs when we're playing with them and and, and they're in happy states and, and it's quite obvious to us that they're in happy states and so these are the these are the things we're looking out for when we're doing the enrichment I don't think we need to be experts in dog body language. I think we just need to be looking at the dog and looking at what they're telling us. And another way of telling might be um, just seeing how keen the dog is to interact with the activity that we're giving them. Maybe have um, two or three different activities and see and, and see if you can notice the difference in the dog between these activities. Which one, which one would they choose to engage in, maybe put all three down on the floor and see if they consistently approach the same one. And this might give us ideas about what they do prefer. And it might it might even open up choices to the dog to, to decide what they're gonna engage in that day. And so the second part of the question was, how did you become interested in canine enrichment? Well, I guess it was just a, a gradual process. I didn't wake up one day and think I'm interested in canine enrichment. I went to study, I wanted to know more, more about dog behaviour and I went to a university to study dog behaviour um, many years ago now. I'm now in my, uh, that was a foundation degree, I'm now in my eighth year and doing a, a master's degree, uh, finish it this year. And the more you learn about, um, I, was a, I was a total behaviour geek um, when I started the course and, and it was all about training this activity and that activity and the other activity to a very high standard. Um, but the more you learn about dog behavior and, and animal behavior in general, um, the more you understand that they have other needs um, that are more important than, than nailing that, that one behavior. It's not about what I want. It's, it's also about what the dog needs. And in the end, you get a, a much better well-rounded animal because their needs are being met and i suppose that's where my that's where my interested that's where my interest in enrichment comes from is is my interest in in what the dog needs and fulfilling those needs and also it's a way i think it's a way of interacting with dogs it's a way of um looking after dogs that doesn't just 
that doesn't just come down to training and, and trying to meet this objective or that objective or the other objective, which can be um, stressful, can be stressful for the person and it can be stressful for the dog. It can leave people disappointed. It can become sort of like um, a competition, if you like, between who's got the best trained dog. And enrichment is nothing to do with competition. It's about fulfilling the individual dog's needs. And that's what it's all about. And so it gives us another focus in, in canine management, canine behavior and looking after our dogs. Eileen Morgan says, how to manage enrichment in multiple dog households? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I've only got uh, two dogs myself, so it's not like I've got five, six, seven dogs. Like so, I know some people do have who post uh, in the enrichment group. Um, but this really comes down to your own dogs, obviously, because some dogs are, are great to do enrichment together. It also depends on what the enrichment activity is. So it's massively wide open. It just comes down to our own uh, common sense and thinking about the dog's needs. And a lot of people will do food enrichment, um, perhaps snuffle mats or, or licking mats um, with multiple dogs at one time. And obviously, if the dogs are likely to resource guard, this absolutely shouldn't be something you doing they should be separated in different rooms to do the enrichment but also even in dogs that don't resource guard i think it's really important um to, to be watching for other more subtle signs that they're not entirely comfortable and if they're not comfortable then it's not really enriching and and so they might be um eating their food slightly faster because they know when the other dogs finish theirs they might be coming over and, and having a bit of theirs so there's still there's there's some resource guarding going on quite often that we don't even notice because it, it just involves it doesn't involve aggression or growling it just involves the dog speeding up or being slightly less comfortable um around the food and so even though my dogs have never uh, the youngest one's eight so they're, they're starting to get on a bit um even though my dogs have never shown any aggression to each other or to any other dog I still separate them when they're doing food enrichment um, where the food's going to be left like a snuffle mat and, or a licking mat or something like that uh, where the dog where the food is just there on the where there's more and more food for them to be consuming um, if it's something they can eat you know it's just one piece of food then maybe they'll both be in the same room but it's, if it's something I'm going to be that's going to be left out and it could be accessed by the other dog then i'm not going to leave them in the same room I'm, I'm going to put it in different rooms and i've never really had a problem with that you can use child gates to separate them if you like or closed doors or really whatever suits your situation and i can't i can't speak for every, everyone's situation that's easy for me to say because i've only got the two dogs to separate if you've got an household where you've got many dogs it might be a different matter and then it might be a matter of of maybe the enrichment isn't occurring for all the dogs at the same time. Maybe one of them is in a in a separate room having their enrichment, a snuffle mat, whatever. And then later on in the day, it'll be a different dog's turn to access that room and that snuffle mat. So it all comes down to management and 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 thinking it through and thinking what's going to be best for the dog. Jacqueline Allen has asked a question: examples of how each enrichment activity activates their brain through scent sight sound and that sort of thing 
Um, can't wait to listen. Thanks for doing this. Well, you might be disappointed because I don't tend to separate um, enrichment into those categories. I know a lot of people do, like scent and sight and, and sound. And the reason I don't is because I don't think they have anywhere near an equal significance to the dog. Really, um, as far as the, the, the senses are concerned, dogs are very much um, scent orientated. They care about how things smell uh, as humans. Um, and most primates care about how things um, look more than how they smell. But dogs don't care less what things look like, really. They bothered about what things smell like. And so I don't really um, separate enrichment into those sort of categories. I don't think, I don't, uh, there, are, there has been people um, suggest that sounds are enriching and things like that. But I don't think, even, even if these things are factual, I don't think it's anywhere near the degree that scent is important. And this is where we can make the big difference. And so I don't, I, I don't really, separate enrichment in that way i don't think about it in that way uh, the way i i if i was to separate enrichment into different facets then i'd be looking at safety um natural behaviors um food acquisition uh, non-food uh, enrichment types and and bonding and being part of a family and that's how i'd sort of um separate it and the, the reason i say safety and most people will probably say uh, how's that enrichment is that without a place of safety i mean safety is all about the dog knowing that they're in a safe place and, and this is something that all you know animals want a place of safety a place to retreat to a place you know where they can feel safe and not going to be um, attacked or hurt or injured in any way and so a place of safety is really important i don't think you can have enrichment i don't think you can have an enriched life or get the benefits of an enriched life if you don't have that place of safety because then you've got so much um stress going on and an enriched um good uh, good mental well-being even for animals, is about having good experiences over bad experiences. We need much more good experiences over bad experiences to, <clears throat> to have good mental um, welfare. And so if the dog's spending most of their day in a stressful state because they're not in a place of safety, then we're not going to get the, the good mental benefits of enrichment. And so that's why safety is really important. And then we've got natural behaviours, which is things like, it could be things like um, off lead time. It could be um, because, you know, it, it, uh, no animal is born to, to live its life on a lead. Although, you know, some must do for safety reasons, some must do for legal reasons, depends on your country and, and your dog and, and things like that. And it could be things like um, conspecific play. So the, the ability to play with other dogs. And again, that's not for all dogs. Some dogs can't do that for whatever reason. So we have to, it's about what is doing the most beneficial thing for the individual dog that we've got. And then you've got the food enrichments, which I, I do adore. Um, a lot of people um, are a little bit negative towards food enrichment, and, and I can see why, because it, it can easily become all about food and it's it, it shouldn't be all about food. But I love food enrichment because 
most animals spend or certainly all wild animals spend a good proportion of their day acquiring enough nutrients to 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 stay alive and to live and then we've got these dogs living in a in a really a false situation where they're not having to use their brain to acquire food at all we've, we've taken all that behavioral um repertoire away from them and then we just tend to plonk the food down in front of them in a bowl and so food is a great opportunity it's a great opportunity to fulfill the behavioral needs of of animals especially if they're you know just uh, if they're a pet dog they're not engaged in any maybe activities or dog sports or they're not you know you you could have a dog even dogs that are walked um every day you could have a dog living in four walls for 23 hours a day and outside for one hour a day so if we've got to feed them which we have why not use that food to engage their brain and, and, and activate them in that way and enrich their lives? And then you've got the non-food enrichment, which is also very important. And it's got some crossover with the other behaviors like natural behavior, because it could involve um, play or playing with other dogs, could involve um, all sorts of things like that. It could involve just um, smelling natural odors outdoors. Um, stopping and, and allowing the dog to sniff just just as natural behaviors do um, I think it's really important for it not to be all about food because and especially for people like me who, who have been training geeks and and used food a lot a real sort of foodie in that way you don't want it you don't want the relationship to become all about food because all, all what you can often end up is is that the dog is obsessed with food or the dog um, every interaction between you and a dog has involved food and so the dog naturally is looking for oh where's the food and anything else that's not oh where's the food is somehow um, maybe punishing to the dog because oh, uh, uh, where's the food i'm expecting food i'm not getting food and so they're disappointed in that way and so we want to make sure that the the relationship isn't all about food they're not always looking for food and so it can involve lots of things you know um fetch and tug and it really does depend on the dog and what they like it could involve them just sitting with you watching tv it could involve them running through puddles uh, going through forests it, it's 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 there's so many activities that we could do with the dog where it's not about the food they're they're getting um, good mental stimulation from other things and we don't always want it to be about the food and then you've got the bonding because there's always lots of arguments about dogs you know uh, not being pack animals and because because people don't want to see them as wolves and and i think that's on the whole i think that's true um dogs that live semi-wild lives tend not to be um, pack animals but individuals that meet up in groups and disband again and meet up again sort of like lo loose groups like that but they certainly enjoy relationships and they certainly uh, and certainly pet dogs that we've um that have been bred to live with humans um bond to us very well they they obviously take great pleasure in being around us many suffer separation anxiety um, when they're not with us they don't do well on their own they don't do well in in kennel environments usually where they haven't got enough um, interaction with um, people or other dogs and and bonding is it, bonding with humans is particularly good because not all dogs for whatever reason not all dogs get on with other dogs and we can we can be a, i mean 
having two dogs is brilliant. Um, seeing dogs interact with each other is brilliant, but we can also be a good replacement, uh, a fairly good replacement for, for when dogs can't be around other dogs uh, because dogs will bond with us. And, and again, it comes, it comes back to that place of safety because this, this bonding is very much linked to, to feeling safe and needing to, be, needing to be in a place of safety. And Tracy Swanson, talk about enrichment activity that doesn't involve food, please. <laughs> uh, well, I've done just done that a little bit. Um, I mean, really, there's 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 loads things like um, dog sports, um, going doing canny cross, which would be like cross country with your dog. Um, going on muddy uh, adventures, taking them through the woods and streams and letting them play with other dogs and, and finding a tug toy that they really love or finding some um, scent enrichment that they really love, letting them stop and sniff on walks, which is, you know, one of my, um, one of the things I hate to see is, is people who don't let their dogs um, just stop and sniff and, and, and take pleasure in that. And Tracy Swanson followed up that um, question with, um, I was going to say the same thing, as my baby has a lot of allergies. Um, so the only thing I would add to that is that people often say this, they say, how can I do um, food enrichment because my dog has a lot of allergies? Well, it comes back again to what I would say is dogs have got to eat. They're eating something. They're eating whatever the, the, the maybe the vet has prescribed to them to say, you know, just feed them this. Maybe they're on a hypoallergenic diet, uh, whatever they're on. Um, I have a dog myself that can only eat one specific food and they mustn't eat anything else. And that, that doesn't stop, uh, that doesn't stop us. That doesn't stop us engaging in food enrichment. There's still a lot you can do with that food. You can put it in a Kong. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, this is for an older dog. I don't, I don't even wet the food or, or freeze the food. I just put it in the Kong and it makes it, and the dog gets some engagement by knocking the Kong about and getting it out and lots of other toys like canine connectables. And there's just so many toys you can stuff food in, even if it comes out easily, it doesn't matter, or snuffle mats because dogs just love to sniff. And so there's loads of things you can do with the dog's own food. It's not uh, food enrichment isn't about giving dogs um, of uh, additional foods. It's about using their food. In my view, it's about using their food in more interesting ways. So Robert Edlington says, are there go-to enrichment activities you like to use when first meeting a dog that help you to gauge what they like, don't like? I foster and I feel like it takes me months to really learn a dog but I'd really like to get faster at figuring out what's rewarding for them so we can have the most successful fostering experience. Well, it's a good and interesting question, but probably going to be disappointed because no, not really. Um, if my initial thoughts, and, and this sounds like one of these questions that I might change my mind on a little bit the more I, I, I think about it. But my initial thoughts is that I wouldn't be doing lots of um, different enrichments with a dog that um, I'm newly fostering. I would be trying to let them, I would err on the side of trying to let them just settle in and find their feet and feel safe and know that they're safe and know that I'm not going to hurt them and, and that sort of thing. And seeing 
and just recognizing their fears, maybe uh, what they're nervous of, what their anxieties are. I, I wouldn't be trying to um, throw Kongs in their face and, and, you know, I don't mean literally, but give them too many tasks. I'd, I want them to, to, to feel relatively safe first and, and build up their confidence in that way. The one thing I would say is that if I had a, a foster dog or any dog that I don't know, I probably wouldn't be putting a bowl full of um, food down. And so I'd be looking, I mean, I don't do that with any dog, but I wouldn't want to be doing that with a, a new dog that I don't know because then they've got this thing to guard and, and maybe feel insecure about um, or nervous about, um, certainly getting that food in a strange place. Um, so I'd be feeding them probably little and often, and that would give us great opportunities to use um, scatter feeding, maybe just throwing a few uh, bits of food on the floor uh, and walking away, giving them plenty of room to, to access that food without feeling threatened and that sort of thing. So you, we can we can incorporate enrichment, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be I certainly won't be bringing in puzzles and, and complex things like that. I just let the dog find their own feet and gain confidence. But that also doesn't mean just putting the food down on the floor. Kim Jarvis says, do something on passive enrichment, please. And senior and super senior dogs. So I assume um, Kim's got some older dogs. I'm not quite sure what Kim means about um, passive enrichment, to be honest. Other than maybe I'd say that comes back to having a safe place, um, sitting down and watching TV in the evening with their person stopping on walks and allowing them to sniff whenever they pretty much whenever they like giving them choices which is uh, massively important to to animals and we often um we don't really think about giving animals choices we we tend to push them into doing whatever we want them to do so you know if there's areas they don't want to walk into you know why why do we always insist on forcing them to do things like that i think just giving them choices is massively um as massive benefits to their to their mental welfare and um, being kind being gentle or maybe maybe having lots of places to sleep even um, my own dogs have five or six different beds scattered around the house they have a choice as to which room they lie in it's not i don't I, often people say the dogs have got a choice because uh, the door is open but if they only have one bed and they want a comfy bed, they haven't got a lot of choice. It's it's their comfy bed or a cold floor somewhere else. And so that's not really an equal choice. And so I like to have lots of um, resting places for the dogs around the house. And then if the telly's on in the evening and they want a quiet bit of space or there's visitors over, not that I have many visitors, um, or there's visitors over, then they can leave the room. They can go and find a quiet spot. They can and this helps, I think, with temperature as well in the hot months. They can find where, where the coolest place in the house is. They can go upstairs to sleep. They can sleep wherever they want to. So yeah, I suppose you could call that passive um, enrichment. And Lisa Glagging, um, I've never listened to a podcast, so I'm very much looking forward to listening to this as my first one. Well, let's hope you do. And let's hope you enjoy it, Lisa. Um, I might have put you off for life. And Mary Penrose has got... Um, uh, a fairly long question. I would be interested in your podcasts. I have felt for a while that others in this group go way beyond what I do for my dog. I do play with her a lot and we go for sniff walks daily, but I don't feel the f I don't feel and freeze Kongs and I don't have any puzzles or treat dispenser toys other than the Kong wobbler. My question is this. 
<clears throat> where does one draw the line? When is enough enough? Are people just trying to occupy their dogs so they don't have to deal with behavioral issues? Some people, oh, should people be encouraged to have more interaction with their dogs, like flirt poles, hide and seek, trick training, fetch, or shaping? I find this kind of interactive play is a chance to teach things like impulse control, create re real, create a real bond. That isn't based on food. I haven't seen this addressed and I would love to hear your thoughts. So quite a lot of um, quite a lot of separate questions there, Mary. Let's go through them one at a time. Where does one draw the line? When is enough enough? Are people to just trying to occupy their dogs so they don't have to deal with behavioral issues? Well, there's some people may be doing that and sometimes people post about um, how to keep their dog busy and that sort of thing but that's not really what enrichment is about enrichment is about fulfilling the behavioral needs so enough is enough when you've fulfilled their behavioral needs and that's not some that's that's a difficult certainly a difficult scientific question to ask because that would be different in every dog every household every situation every relationship if we have a dog um, who's spending 24 hours a day in the house or 20 23 and a half hours a day in the house um, going for a quick walk then they may benefit from a lot of um, daily enrichment in their lives snuffle mats and 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 canine connectables and you know whatever it is they they playing with their owner and you know dogs that are going out and about and, and engaged in in different activities like um hoopers or you know different activities or even just going out and about with their guardians and, and in some countries that's more common than, than other countries um then those dogs that have got an active life and a busy life and a part of the family activity maybe they they don't need so much um, extra enrichment um, given because their needs are already being met and so really it's an impossible question without knowing the, the exact dog um, looking at their behavior um, seeing how they're interacting with activities uh, looking at their motivation levels and so let's move on to another part of the question should people be encouraged to have more interaction with their dogs like flirt poles, hide and seek, trick training, fetch and shaping. Well, yes and no. Um, certainly should be encouraged to have more interaction with their dogs in general for most dogs. We're not talking about dogs with specific behavioural issues or dogs newly into your house who you might want to give a bit more space to. Um, but the activities that you mentioned, it really depends on the dog. Not all dogs are interested in a flirt pole. I have a West Highland Terrier who would... Who, who does love a flirt pole and chasing things. I have a Labrador who really couldn't care less about a flirt pole, really, to be honest, might chase it once and then would go, what's the point in this? Not really a chasey dog. Um, so that would, again, that would be very different um, for different dogs. Most dogs um, hide and seek that, that really depends some people play hide. A, a lot of these things depend don't they um because it depends on the context um hide and seek i've seen a lot of people post videos um playing hide and seek in their dog and there's a fine line there's a fine line between the dog enjoying the seeking uh, process like they might when they're looking for um following a scent 
there's a fine line between that and stress because they hear the person and they should be able to see them and they can't and you see the dog getting a bit stressed with that and i don't think that's enrichment at all and so we have to bear all these things in mind and weigh them up whatever we're doing exactly the same with trick training because trick training was one of my passions for many years and i i love trick training and, and seeing what the dogs can do and showing off a, a new trick um loved for many years my dog's trick of um putting something in a in a pedal bin sort of press the pedal down and then put it in the bin but for many people it could and, and for many dogs this could become um stressful because the training isn't ideal uh, it depends how you're doing the training doesn't it it could be stressful for the person because they're not getting the result that they wanted and you know they, they set out to train a trick and it's not going the way they want and and it leads to frustration then it lit that that leads to frustration with the dog and and so it's not necessarily enriching although it can be so trick training can be enrichment but enrichment isn't trick training um fetch again just depends on what you're doing a lot of people these days are a little bit against um fetch uh, uh, especially repetitive fetch because it's thought that um, repetitive fetch and and sharp turns and things like this can have a detrimental effect on the dog's um physical state over many years and and cause things like arthritis in uh, especially in as the dog ages um so it, it it you know all things in moderation i suppose and whilst i wouldn't ever suggest people don't play fetch i think there's some benefit in, in in considering that um repetitive fetch might be a problem um shaping again i've seen uh, i loved shaping when i uh, fell in uh, when i i loved shaping when i first got into dog training and started to learn about dog training but over the years it is it is brilliant I don't, i'm not saying it's not brilliant um but i find many people find it frustrating and, and want to go much faster than than the dog or you know and, and it can become frustrating and it can i've seen it become frustrating for dogs too so again all these things can be massively um, enriching they can also be massively stressful and so it's always trying to find that balance which isn't um isn't always easy it's not it's not always easy for me to do with years of experience in training and in enrichment um i can't just say you know this is where the line is but it's about always being considerate of, of these different conflicting factors i think um paula luke says oh she's saying it was a great question the previous one uh where do you draw the line blah blah, blah. uh like you i play with my dog have walks lots of sniffing she gets a frozen kong one a week when i remember to fill it otherwise tug is our favorite game also just trying to get her interested in hide and seek she's eight months old in brackets but i certainly don't have the time or the inclination to buy lots of stuff so i hope this oh no i hope this last will have some good answers in in her podcast well sorry to disappoint you but i'm uh, not a her i'm a him and um the confusion there is um probably that um shay spelled s-h-a-y is common in um, america as or more common in america as a female name in the uk where i was born and live it's um you don't see it as a female name or i never have it's it's more common it's not a common name but it's more common as a male name so there's your confusion sorted there um 
don't have the time or the inclination to buy lots of stuff. Um, well, getting to that point, uh, probably you get out of enrichment what you put into it. Um, but I'd certainly agree, or I would say that it's not about buying lots of stuff. Um, uh, lots of people think enrichment has to be expensive, and it really, really doesn't. There's, so you you can do enrichment perfectly well without spending any extra money just with, you know, um, food in a rolled up towel is one of the best simple enrichment free en enrichment activities that I've ever seen. And, and uh, the list really is only uh, limited by our own imagination, you know, putting food in a box, uh, uh, just throwing a handful of food. There's just so many things that you can do to to increase the activity, increase the interaction. Um, when dogs just, you know, they've got to eat, why not increase that, make that more interesting for them, allow them to become successful in their behaviours rather than just uh, standing there eating from a bowl. But it does take, um, it does take some inclination. It takes some effort. It, it's it's like one of those things, and that doesn't mean you don't want to do it because you say that. Um, it's just like um, with humans, um, we know there's things we need to do, we, we need to exercise, and the majority of us don't do the exercise that we need to do. We've got we've got all the intentions, but the, the reality is that we um, we put it off and put it off. And it's it's often enrichment. It, it, enrichment's not difficult. It's you could say it's remembering to do it. That's the uh, difficult part. Um, so you've got to. It hasn't got to be a chore. That's the thing about that, um, Paula. It's got to be something that you enjoy doing. And so not only has it got to be good for the dog it's got to be something you enjoy doing and that sometimes can be just reframing it into into just like stopping on walks really people people often pull the dog away from a scent because in their mind they've gone for a walk they should be walking and um, when if you was to reframe that into you're taking the dog out to enrich their life you know when they stop and scent uh, when they stop and smell that's a great thing because they're getting the enrichment that they that they need you're facilitating that enrichment and i just love to stand and enjoy the dog watching the dog um sniffing and that's where i get my enjoyment from and so sometimes it's about reframing it and and and, and looking at it in a different perspective and and getting your enjoyment in that way I love watching a dog rip up a box to get the food out of it. So I am getting enjoyment from it. I am I'm enjoying it all the time. And if you're not enjoying it, then I think you either need to try and reframe it. I know that's easier said than done, but try and reframe it so that you're, you're looking at it from a different perspective or find something else that you will have the inclination to do. And in fact, let me say this. Um, Enrichment is sometimes well, certainly simple enrichment is easier than feeding from a bowl. You know, if you've you've got the you throw an handful of food on the floor and it scatters all over the place for the dog, there's some enrichment value in that. Um, but it's easier than it's probably easier than putting that food in the bowl and putting that on the ground and then washing the bowl and and stuff like that. So it doesn't have to be difficult. Find something you enjoy. Uh, enjoy the dog. Enjoying life. And Babby Holt says, as our rescue pup loves a good sniffari, I would be very interested in other ways to incorporate nose work activities for indoors that don't necessarily include food. Thanks, Shake. This will be great. Well, we'll see. Um, so 
the pup loves a good sniff area and this is generally considered to be going out and about and, and being allowed to time to just sniff all the scents and, and things out in the out in the wide world. I'd be interested in other ways to incorporate nose work activities for indoors that don't necessarily include food. Well, well, some that do include food could be just um, placing a piece of food on the floor and letting the dog go and get it. And then over time, you increasingly um, make this slightly more challenging by putting it behind something. You let the dog see you do this, maybe just a soft toy, something small on the floor in the middle of the floor. And then increasingly over time, you put the, the you put the piece of food in increasingly uh, more challenging position where the dog's got to do more work to, to go and find it, maybe further away from the dog. And each time you're releasing the dog to go and find it, you might be giving them um, a cue word like um, go find or go seek or or search. And over time, they they learn that, you know telling them search means oh there's something good to go and find and you can you can start placing the food when they're you know they're not even in sight and they haven't got a clue where it is and they go and find so that's it that's one good idea with the food so without the food you can have a game especially if you've got a dog that um likes to play fetch likes to go and um, grab things that you throw because you can just start off with you don't even need a scent on it you can, the dog will pick up the the natural scent of whatever the toy is so you could have a little um, teddy bear that you throw for the dog when the dog gets into this good game of, of of chasing this, you can you can literally just place it on the floor, and the dog will go and jump on it. You have a little, and, and the reward if you're not including food, the rewards coming from having a little tug game with the with the toy. And so, you can just do the same with the toy. You can put that in increasingly um, more challenging. Uh, places and that doesn't mean making it difficult you've always got to play fair you don't want to put it where the dog can't reach you don't want to put it where the dog's not allowed to go you want to make it really really easy so the dog is always successful you're not trying to trick the dog you're not trying to outsmart the dog you're just trying to make, make it slightly more engaging each time and then you can build up this so you're doing it when the dog is not even in sight and again he'll know the game's on when you say go search and they're going searching for this um, particular toy, or you could uh, you could put the toy. Um, you could start by putting the toy in a tub of something like catnip, um, which the toy will take on the distinctive smell of the catnip, and then and then they'll search for. You do that with the toy; they'll search for anything that's got the smell of catnip. You could change it out to a different toy, uh, as long as that smells of catnip, and then all of a sudden they're going around, you've got a search dog going around looking for a particular um, scent. And it's a, just it's just a beautiful, great, fantastic thing to watch. Um, a dog searching for a scent and picking up on that scent. And it's just, it's magical to watch a dog doing scent work. And Lindsay Clark says, have you ever experienced an epic enrichment failure? And if so, what did you learn from it? Any funny stories of enrichment gone wrong? Well, not really, because... The, well, I suppose the clever, smart answer would be that if it was an epic failure, it wouldn't be um, enrichment because um, to be enrichment, it has to be enrichment, enriching. Um, but uh, any funny stories of enrichment gone wrong? Not really. Um, obviously, there's things that don't go according to plan. And so you've got things like um, the dog just picking up. You, you spend um, some time hiding all the bits of food in a snuffle mat, and the dog learns to just pick it up, and all the bits fall out, and goes and takes them off the floor. And countless people I've spoken to have seen this as a failure in, in 
in enrichment. Actually, it's not at all. The dog's just chosen a different path. Uh, they're still getting great enrichment value from it. Um, they've just worked out a different solution. Um, so there's no failure there, really. Um, there, are, there are easy ways to fix that, but, uh, and that would be include um, not putting the food in the enrichment mat or not putting much of it in the enrichment mat, putting it around the edge. And the dog then learns to approach the mat, but take the bits of food. And then you could, because they're not actually on the mat, and they're not going to gain from, um, from picking it up. And then you could slowly um, move the food um, slowly closer and closer to the mat until it's on the edge of the mat and then it's on top of the mat and then it's slowly hiding it within the mat and the dog just learns a different um, procedure a different sequence to getting the food out and Ellen Gagliano says please begin by defining enrichment well enrichment um, to my mind is to enrichments about fulfilling the dog's needs so it's not just about doing something finding the dog something to do it's enrichment is needed um it, it was originally developed in zoos and it was developed in zoos because um animals in the zoos were not able to um, behave in their natural ways and this was causing problems especially as zoos went into conservation of, and and those sort of areas when they needed the animals to to do better and to breed and and to flourish um and so when an animal is not, not able to, to fulfill their natural behaviors, it causes mental health issues and, and, and maybe um, depression and, and things like this. And so enrichment is, is about fulfilling the needs that, that are really are, the needs that are taken away from animals. They're not able to make those choices for themselves. Um, and, and so for dogs, they're living in, uh, they're a bit of a special case in that They've been um, domesticated for, for, for many thousands of years to live with humans, but still they're an animal that has got this fantastic brain uh, and olfactory system built for, uh, built for behaviour and for following sense and for finding food and, and, and for gaining reinforcement. And this is what behaviour is all about. And the dog has this big behavioural void because they're not able to, to behave in these in these natural ways, uh, they're kept in, and really they're kept in an unnatural setting because they're not able to go out and 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 fulfil their behavioural needs for themselves. They're very reliant on us, and our job then is to find behavioural outlets to fulfil these needs. And so, enrichment is about fulfilling behavioural needs. And why is that important? Because it is all about the animal's mental well-being and when we when we it's not just about the enrichment when we fulfill these needs we get less we get fewer um, behavioral um, problems because the animals need to be met um, so if you know there are people who say anything is enrichment um, basically what they're saying is any form of stimulation is enrichment and i would argue against this because to my mind enrichment is for the specific reasons that i've just given and therefore if an activity is to be enriching, then it should be increasing the animal's affective state, their, their emotional well-being, their, their state of mind, their mental um, well-being. If it's not doing this, then I'd argue it's not really enrichment.
And uh, Ellen goes on to say, I'm not sure if you want to venture into the balance of foods and quality. Some recipes shared here are way over normal sugar intake with the amount of fruit, peanut butter and yogurt. Thanks. Um, no, I don't really want to venture into um, into food and, and, and what foods to feed uh, because it's an absolute minefield and it's not um, a speciality of mine. It's not something I... I'm massively knowledgeable on um, and so we uh, certainly in the canine enrichment group that I run uh, which is what this is referring to uh, we stay away from um, recipes um, if, if a post is to be accepted it should be more about the enrichment factor than the particular recipe of, uh, of anything and, and we never allow questions on, on recipes for this that or the other for these reasons it's just not uh, something I want to get into but I do agree I agree that um, many of the um, foods that people add to to fulfill what they think is enrichment needs um, is adding um, too much calories, too much sugars. Um, it's 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 throwing the dog's um, food balance off, um, and and it's just increasing calories when we don't need to be. So you, on the one hand, you should be if you're adding extra foods, you do need to be reducing their their normal diet, their, their daily diet, but. I'd also uh, make the point again that we don't really need to be adding all these extra foods. It's, it's not it's not something that I do. Um, the occasional um, occasional um, little tiny uh, piece of food, little little piece of chicken, little you know. If I was to feed peanut butter, I have done uh, peanut butter in the past. Um, but you're talking about you know the amount that would fit on the end of my finger not not half a jar or, or or the amount you'd spread on a piece of bread that'd be far 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 too much um so i take the point but it's not something that i get into uh, discussing really i just think people uh, need to make up their own minds uh, look into it a little bit and just use common sense really and I, and again i don't think um dogs are great um connoisseurs of or all these different flavors they enjoy something to crunch. They enjoy a carrot and things like this. But I don't think they're connoisseurs of um, of having lots and lots of different flavours. I don't think this is necessarily adding enrichment. Although I know, you know, there are a lot of enrichment groups that are based on on, on recipes and that. So this is just my own my own thing, my own opinion. It's just not what I'm into. It's not where. It's not where I want um, enrichment to go. I don't want it to be about uh, recipes. I want it to be about activities. And so Mike Radel says, so does enriching the dog's life enrich mine too? Most people want to know what's in it for them, don't they? Very excited about the podcast. Uh, thank you. Um, I think that's a great point because a lot of people will will um, blatantly say that, um, well, enrichment is for the dog, um, the, the dog's walk is for the dog, and, and and this is the idea is that we're encouraging people to to meet the dog's needs. But I make the point that it also has to be beneficial for the person, and again, that can be, come around to how we we frame these different things and how we look at them and our perspectives. Um, why why are we taking a dog out? Why are we doing any particular form of enrichment? Because we want to provide a better um, life for the dog. What, what other reason is there? Um, so we need to look at it from that point of view and we need to enjoy what we're doing. We need to take pride in what we're doing. We need to, you know, enrichment can also be fun for people. It can be fun to watch the dog sniffing. It can be fun to teach scent work. Uh, and if it's not fun, then we need to be finding ways that 
that do make it um, at least interesting for us. You know, fun isn't about, you know, I'm talking about contentment. I'm not talking about being deliriously uh, rolling around the floor uh, <laughs> in hysterics. Uh, we need to take enjoyment from what we're doing. And, and I don't see why we wouldn't take enjoyment from fulfilling a dog's needs. I mean, we have dogs because we love them. It's, it's, and so it's great to, to watch them do stuff. It's great to interact with them. It's great to do some training. It's great to do enrichment. It's I just enjoy everything I do with dogs. Not so much picking up the poo, admittedly, but there you go. That's the life of uh, having dogs. Lula La Luna, that's a brilliant name. I'm probably not saying it right, but it sounds brilliant. Um, not a question as much, uh, but is it, but is a suggestion, an episode about making sure enrichment activities are safe, i.e. dangers people might not realise, laser pointers, cardboard glue, unsupervised uh, chewing, etc. Podcast will reach countless people who've never even fathomed a concern about canine enrichment. How exciting. Well, that's, um, it's not a question, but it's, it's a good observation. So um, thank you, um, Lula. Um, absolutely, safety has got to be our first um, priority. And there are lots of dangers in enrichment, and it's easy to say, um, um, well, there's a danger there, so don't do it. But everything we do in life has got some risk to it. Stepping outside the front door um, has got some risk to it. Um, stepping off a curb has got some risk to it. Staying at home has got a lot of risk to it because that's where most accidents actually happen, I guess, because we spend most of our time in our homes. Um, so everything in life has got risk. We've just got to weigh up the benefits against that risk. And so if you've got dogs that are likely to swallow bits of cardboard, absolutely you shouldn't be doing these um, um cardboard enrichment with them putting food in boxes if their idea of enrichment is to swallow the bits of um, paper which some dogs do do most don't in my experience but some you know do swallow bits of um, cardboard and so absolutely I would not and there's been discussions in the past is this safe um, to my mind if if the item wasn't made produced for a dog to consume then I don't think it's safe to be doing it um, don't do it uh, we don't Again, we have to weigh up the, the pros and cons. We don't know what glues are used and what chemicals are used in production of, of cardboard boxes because they were never meant for uh, consumption. They weren't made, made, made for human consumption. They weren't made for dog consumption. And so I'd say erring on the side of caution, I want to see the dog um, maybe rip the box and be releasing a bit of cardboard straight away. I don't want to see dogs chewing on boxes where they're going to be getting some contaminants from the glue or or... You know, there has been there has been extreme cases where it's claimed that dogs mouths have got glued shut because of the glue on, you know, obviously the glue on a big thick box as congealed in the mouth. Uh, they should never be chewing the cardboard for that long. It's about um, picking bits off, really, not not really um, chewing on it and certainly not swallowing it. So we've got to always be careful. Uh, laser pointers was another thing that was mentioned and many people um don't see the harm in it and this is because it can look like a lot of fun but you have to ask yourself if if the dog is actually having fun and laser pointers are linked to compulsive light chasing in dogs specifically um some breeds like um, border collies so but it's not you know it's not just border collies by any means it could could happen to any dog and um, they get compulsive disorders for light and, and shadow chasing and this can be a, a, a difficult thing to to then eradicate and it's not 
is, is it fun for the dog just because they're chasing it or is it more of an irritant you have you know like when you're um swatting a fly away it's um uh, you could easily see this as fun i suppose but it's not it's it's more it could be more of an irritant and it certainly becomes a compulsive uh, behavior it's not something you're always going to want the dog to do um uh, when you're trying to uh, maybe train with them or settle them down or you know lots of uh, situations where um this compulsion to chase lights lights or even this this want to chase lights and shadows could be a massive problem for you and so it's certainly not something to be encouraged in any way shape or form uh susie sewell asks how do you make sure your husband doesn't eat the enrichment treats well i don't have an husband so i have no knowledge on that uh, Cindy asks about um, selecting a dog for your lifestyle. Uh, that um, I would just refer to uh, something I remember um, Ian Dunbar once saying about how um, we often consider when we're getting a dog, we consider um, what we want, um, but we never ask the question, um, what can we do for the dog? And and that's a great way of thinking about it. Is that can uh, look into the dog's needs and uh, are we able to provide um, the things that that dog is going to um, require um, I would love I would I'd love a, a Manningwell um, dog but uh, that's like having a border collie cross German Shepherd on steroids and speed um, I wouldn't um, be able to fulfill the needs of, of such a dog uh, at the moment, um, aging, I've got a bad back. Uh, um, I'm very much a, a Labrador type um, guy. So that's the sort of dog I can uh, fulfill um, their needs. I can't fulfill the needs of um, a really full on uh, a dog. So you just got to think about your own lifestyle and, and, and are you going to be able to feel, fulfill the dog's needs? And Lula La Luna asks, how do you figure out which song to sing to your dog every morning to the best, uh, every morning to best ensure their enjoyment? My JJ was easy, Abba's, Mamma Mia, my Lulu loved Get It Together by the Beastie Boys. But Cindy Lou, who has me stumped, no matter what genre, my accompanying dance moves, etc., she remains unimpressed. Any tips? Yes, stop singing. Catherine Thompson asks, I would love a list of DIY dog enrichment activities beyond the usual suggestions of food in cardboard tubes, towels, snuffle mats, etc. Ouch, Catherine. So I need to suggest ideas that I don't normally, <laughs> that I don't usually suggest. Uh, well, I think that would, that's, um, it's not going to be at home things. Uh, firstly, incorporating the dog, uh, incorporating the dog into your daily um, life and routine. And this can be um, just including them in little things like when you, when you get up and make a cup of tea, um, that can be two minutes spent while you're waiting for the kettle to boil, um, interacting with the dog in whatever way, you know, you, you and the dog find satisfying. It can be different things. It can be little training things. It can be a little grooming session. It can just be a little... Um, sitting on the floor with them uh, and playing it, it, all sorts of things but just including them 
or it could be outdoor um, getting involved in outdoor activities like um, canny cross and hoopers and agility and it just depends on um, on what you want to do really and, and, and going and enjoying life um, together with the dog but as to um, suggesting things that I don't usually suggest uh, I wouldn't know where to start because if I thought they were good I would normally suggest them um, uh, Laurie Strickland uh, thank you would love one on how to help your dog understand the distinction between sniff walks and a more structured leash walk uh, that's a brilliant question because uh, often uh, when I'm encouraging people to allow their dogs to sniff and saying they should be allowed to stop and sniff on on when the dog's out for a walk um, inevitably somebody will um, somebody will suggest that um, there's times that um, they need to they want the dog to walk and they don't want the dog sniffing all the time and, and you know they've got to get on and, and get somewhere and that's reasonable um there, there are going to be times when we when we need to walk even if that's um to to, to avoid a situation that we know the dog's not going to be comfortable with like uh, that's in the distance and we turn and walk a different direction or something like that there's always going to be some um reason that you know you you don't want the dog to sniff you want to get walking and so there's no there's no reason really that you can't um train both you can allow the dog to stop and sniff um whenever they like uh when you're doing a relaxed walk and and just as you would um train any sort of um heel heel uh, walking to heel uh, you might start with just loose loose lead walking really i'm not talking about um obedience training here uh, you might start by just feeding treats uh, at your side, keeping your hand right by your side and feeding treats there. And the dog generally learns that that's a good place to be. That's where they get the treats. They start watching your hand. They start staying in that position more because they're getting good treats and reinforcement for it. And over time, you can um, reduce the amount of treats. So, you know, it's every 10 seconds, every 20 seconds, every 30 seconds, every 50 seconds, every minute, every minute and a half, every two minutes, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be a constant flow of um, food to get the dog to do this. You can just, um, you can reduce it over time. And then largely I find that when I'm doing a, a, a when I want the dog to walk with me, um, that you don't really need a, a cue. You can add a cue. You can, you could do like maybe walk every time you're going to walk in this particular way. But more the dog takes on your body language and, and your pace and the fact that, you know, you've got into this specific pace and, and the way you're holding the leash um, close-ish to you and and keeping that pace going, where, whereas more generally you've got a much more um, relaxed approach to walking and you haven't got this particular body posture and, and walk. That's certainly what works for me. Um, I don't think I really ever particularly thought about it it's just something that developed over time when I'm when I'm if I'm in a rush or walking somewhere particular to get to get there I'm I'm likely in this more meaningful posture and pace and and, and, and all this rather than stopping and starting when the dog's um, um, sniffing but you, you can add um, keywords as well each time you you do the when you stop to allow them to sniff you could just um, say go sniff and, and when you're going to do the walk just before you start you could say uh, walk or heal or you know whatever you want to um, do i wouldn't you don't need to keep repeating the word and over, over time although it might mean nothing to start with over time they associate you saying that word with what's going to happen next and 
and it's a way of signaling into them. But like I say, I don't use um, I don't use verbal signals much. I think they they pick up my body language. They know what I'm doing. Especially Mr. B, my Labrador, who seems to um, he just seems to to know what I'm thinking half the time before I've even thought it. He's got me well trained. At least appear. I love I've forgotten how to speak now. I love podcasts. I listen to Shepherd by Dog all the time. What I love about Shepherd by Dog is this turning into an advert, Lisa. Lisa. Besides the subject, is that they are 20 to 30 minutes long about how long it takes me to drive home from work. And YouTube reminds me when a new one comes comes out. Can't wait to hear yours. Well, uh, I don't think it's going to stay in the 20 minutes. So I'm afraid the only option is you're going to have to um, jack in your job and find one further away so you can listen to this on the way home. But that's fabulous. Thanks for listening. Yeah, well, I hope you are listening. Now I've mentioned Joan, give you a free advert and, and, and all this. And so we're running out of time on just saying. So that's about, uh, I think we about better wrap it up. Um, hit subscribe if you've enjoyed listening to me rabble on about uh, canine enrichment and um, enrich your dog's lives. I hope you very much enjoyed it. Hit subscribe, come back, uh, come back and see what we're getting up to. Next time we'll have some fantastic guests and I'll be uh, getting a bit of knowledge off them and giving it away to you. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Bye-bye. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, click the follow button and share with others. If you didn't enjoy the show, write a strongly worded letter. Not to me, obviously. I'm busy.